welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hi, friends. Happy Fourth of July week to all of you who may or may not have cabins. Evidently, the whole band, uh, all of the people in the music industry have cabins somewhere, so um, we're relying on your voices, which, by the way, you sound lovely this morning. You sound lovely. My name is Mike, if we haven't met. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. Glad you're here. I have the distinct honor and privilege of uh, communicating for a living, so I'm doing really well at that. Uh, I have the distinct honor and privilege to introduce you to a friend of mine. Uh, Some of you know, but some of you don't. About seven years ago, we decided to start this little church called Awaken, and the first person to say yes to, like, being a part of this thing outside of my wife and then my children, who didn't really have a choice, was uh, was Ben Rosenbush. And Ben and I sat at a Chipotle uh, in Bloomington, and I kind of pitched this idea of this crazy church plant that I had in my head and said, what do you say, Uh, you be the the worship leader, and we do a little one-two and see if we can't get this thing off the ground. And so Ben uh, helped start this church seven years ago. And so uh, when we were talking about him uh, kind of getting his wings and having an opportunity to speak and teach, I said, you should come and come to Awaken uh, and, and offer that here. And so uh, that led us to this morning. And so I'm so excited for you to meet and for me to introduce my friend Ben. So would you please give a warm Awaken welcome to a long-lost brother, Mr. Ben Rosenbush. Being in Awaken surely feels like being at home, too. You guys are extended family for me, and uh, Micah, what a gift of a friend that I've had in him. And it was such a beautiful thing to see this community come to what it is now today. This is the space that Awaken's dreamed of since its beginning, so it's so cool to see this happening. And uh, there's so many cool connections today. Actually, my dad is preaching for the first time in 15 years somewhere else today, so that's kind of cool. And, uh, man, weren't these guys amazing, John, Mark, and Emily? I mean, I love these. Can we give them a hand? I, I love both of them. And John, Mark, the church I work at now, Westwood Community Church, is the worship pastor. I took over for his dad, who's still there, and John, Mark came to Awaken. We're just threaded together here. It's crazy. And uh, Emily, uh, she is actually what used to be my uh, mom's piano student in Duluth. So we got connections of the wazoo here, and my mom's here today, so it's fun. But uh, a little bit about me, if you don't know me much. Um, my name's Ben, and my wife is Jackie of seven years now, so similar to the birthday of, of Awaken. And this is her and our daughter, Fia, who's going to be a year old in August. So pumped about that. So if you have any feedback about how to do a first-year birthday, let me know. So we're trying to figure that one out. But so excited to be here with you and, and, and to receive Micah's invite for today. So Dan and Micah kicked off this series that you guys are currently in over the last couple of weeks called Lost in Translation. And I'm picking up with that as well today. So each week is focused on a particular passage and how that passage has been interpreted or misinterpreted through the history of the church. So today's sermon in that spirit is called inflammable icebergs, reinterpreting 2 Peter 3 toward a view of creation care. So that's where we're going. But as uh, we begin, you guys have this wonderful practice of standing as the scriptures read. So I want to invite you to stand as I read our text this morning. 2 Peter 
3, 10 through 13, the TNIV says it this way. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day and speed it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. I'm going to pray for, this, pray for us this morning. Join me. God, we come to your word and spirit, we ask you to guide us through it. We ask that our ears would hear, our eyes would see, just as we sang over our kids today, that would be true for us. God, we love you. We thank you that this is a family here. And we just open our hearts up to you for you to change them so that our lives might match your love and so that we might send that love out wherever we are. We lay ourselves down before you. Ignite us this morning. And everyone said, amen. You guys can have a seat. As we begin today, I'd like to remind us that if we are a people who seek to follow Christ, then we are to be actively taking part in God's ongoing work of resurrection and redemption in this world. That work of God that culminates in the end of days, which we just talked about, but has begun in the here and now. So let's just let that be a lens for everything I'm saying today, okay? That's what we're assuming as Christ followers if you profess to that this morning. And this morning, I want to talk about a part of that work of God that has often been overlooked. It combines loving God, loving others, but also loving the earth and all creation. That last bit can be controversial for us, but that loving the earth and all creation, we can call it creation care. That's the term I'm going to use today. And let me just give a definition for it um, as we begin. Creation care is caring for God's creation through righteous environmental stewardship as God's image bearers on the earth, anticipating in the present the renewal of all things. I'll say it in a different way here too for us. We care for creation, everyone on it, everything in it, in ways that kickstart the good outcome of the end of days in the here and now. So that's what we're talking about. Let me say at the onset that this task of creation care is not unanimous for the church as a whole, right? Environmentalism, anything tied to that, is a politically charged hot topic. So I'm touching a hot potato today, okay? Uh, and Christian environmentalism may seem a strange notion to us, but I just want to acknowledge that. If I start talking about human-induced climate change and the responsibility that humans have to act differently in light of that... Some here are saying, yes and amen. Some people are like, get this guy off the stage right now. So, but we're together, okay? My hope today is to call us together and to not divide us. We're the body of Christ. We belong to one another. And wherever you find yourself on these issues, I want to interject freedom into the room to just be where you are, be who you are, and, uh, you know, process what is said today as you uniquely will, okay? 
I want to encourage us that the church just does best when it doesn't shy away from the hard conversations, but steps right into them with the acknowledgement that each one of us comes to this conversation from a particular view, a particular social location, and context. But it's from these different places that we come together as the body of Christ. I would suggest that for unity to be meaningful, for it to have real substance, it actually requires difference. That's an oxymoron. I recognize that, and a paradox, but I believe it to be true. I would suggest that we should think of unity this morning as harmonious diversity. Unity can't exist without the embrace of the other, without somebody different than you. So let's begin with that today, rooted in that spirit, harmonious diversity, okay? You guys with me? All right, so with that said, here are the three claims that I want to make this morning from the text we just read. One, the earth has a future in the world to come. And this is because God is in the business of resurrection. Therefore, we have a job to do. And a part of that job is creation care. So to argue these three claims, we'll just need to turn back to 2 Peter 3 and examine verse 10 just a little more closely, okay? This verse will go back on the screen. Here's what it says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. This verse is a verse that's been lost in translation. Series drop right there. Okay. At face value, it seems as if this whole planet and all the heavens, the substance of everything that is, will be destroyed by fire. It seems that on the surface, the end of days spells the end for the earth itself, and that God creates a new heaven and a new earth right from scratch. This has been the dominant interpretation throughout most of the history of the church here, and it's an interpretation that has left Christians off the hook in regards to a practice of creation care. But I want to argue, as you might imagine, the opposite interpretation this morning. I want to argue that this earth has a future in the world to come. And that to care for it through the practice of creation care and righteous environmental stewardship is a part of how we join God's ongoing work that's the good work of redemption in this world. So to land at that conclusion, we have to dive again into the text a bit more. We have to ask ourselves, what is it exactly saying happens to the earth in the end? So to describe this for us, I'm going to turn to arrested development. You guys a fan of that? Uh, if you're a fan of the show, you'll know uh, there's a, a character, Tobias Funke. And so I'm going to show you the scene where he goes to this audition. He thinks it's supposed to, you know, act as if he's in a fire, but it's actually a fire sale that he's uh, supposed to uh, apply for. So check it out. Here we go.
So suffice to say, it's important to get the words right, right? One word can make a big difference. Uh, so with this text we're looking at today, we're not looking at fire or fire sale, we're looking at what kind of fire is in the text itself. More specifically, we should ask, is this, is it obliteration or is it purification? I will argue that the fire is not the former, but the latter. As we look back at verse 10, it says in the TNIV, the translation you heard earlier, the earth and everything will be laid bare. Laid bare is the word we're really looking at today, okay? Laid bare is a modern translation that helps support this reinterpretation that I'm talking about. Uh, different interpretations of the Bible, the CEB, the ESV, NRSV, they all interpret it in the same way, okay? But in contrast, supporting the earth interpretation that the earth will be obliterated by fire, the New American Standard Bible reads, the earth and its work shall be burned up. Similar translations, the KJV, ERV, ASV, they all follow suit in that kind of way. So here, we're presented with different translations of the Bible on this particular word, and the debate between them is formed by a tale of two words. Now, I'm going to try to pronounce these for you. I am not a Greek dude, but here we go. I actually got some great help by our uh, friend Chris, who's interning here. So thank you, Chris. I'm indebted. Kata kaiesetai, or you're a thesetai. So I imagine that second one is like you're accusing someone, like, you're a thesetai. So that's how I'm doing this, okay? So these are the two words we're looking at, okay? These translations differ because they use one or the other of these two words. The translations that are saying burned up are the katakayesetai. And the translations that read laid bare or similar words like that are the urethesetai. So you might be asking yourself then, why do these translations have different words? That's a great question to ask, okay? We have to blame it on a poor, misguided scribe. Poor guy. So last week, Micah helped us in his sermon remind us that the Bible is a product of human beings who lived in a specific time and place, but the Bible is also divinely inspired at the same time. These two things together. The Bible is a collection of writings that God has orchestrated and empowered to transform us through the Spirit, but has been sifted through the complex lives of ordinary people. Okay, what I've just said here affirms an infallibility view of the Bible over and against an inerrant view of the Bible, if you know those two words. We can say that God behind the Bible, behind the text, is infallible. But the human beings who participated and penned it were not just as we are not. And sometimes because of that, mistakes made it into the Bible. And this is a case in point. This mistake came about over many, many years as the Bible was copied and recopied, and that's a work that we can be grateful for because we have this text with us today because of that. That's awesome. We've been given a gift through that. But the scribes who did the copying and recopying would sometimes get a letter wrong, replace a word, or just even correct the text as they saw fit. And as you can imagine, that introduced some interpretive problems for us, okay? The meaning in the text gets lost in translation. So, let's take a little bit more of a keen view on what these two words mean, okay? Katakayesetai means will be burnt. So, as used in this text, it then implies that the earth will be completely destroyed, and the fire in this passage is one of obliteration. Yurathesetai 
will, means will be found or will be discovered. It's connected to the uh, root word from which we get eureka, okay? Instead of emphasizing the earth's destruction, this word implies that the deeds done on the earth by humankind, by us, will be found out or discovered. Uncovered before God's eyes, or as we heard earlier, laid bare before a God who returns to establish justice and renew all things. With this word, this fire then becomes one of purification. So which is right? We've got to ask ourselves this. Many, many modern-day scholars are now taking the view that Kataka Yesetai was a mistake. We have different, like eight different versions of the ancient text with this particular verse. And sorting through which one is the authentic, which one's the real one, is the really hard task of biblical translators. Uh, but Kataka Yesetai seems pretty unlikely uh, when compared to the rest of these options. One writer kind of uses the analogy that it's like comparing these two, like it's either the dog chased the cat or the dog chased the cake. You know, it's kind of easy to tell which one's right. So basically, our poor misguided scribe wrote in the wrong word, intentionally or unintentionally, and scholars now believe that urethesita is actually the original word that's supposed to be in 2 Peter 3.10. But, even if that's the case, both these words are still operative in Christian theology and Christian thought today, and it's often in the evangelical world, too, that, uh, you know, the the translation that says the earth is a tinderbox ready for judgment flames, that's the one that seems to win the day often. But I would suggest that either word we choose is like a hinge that opens up the door to a unique eschatological vision. Each one is a hinge that opens the door to our vision of the end. So it really matters which word we choose. If we choose to employ katakayesitai, then this earth is a goner up in smoke and we shouldn't waste time caring for it, right? Especially at the expense of other Christian mission. But if we embrace your thesitai, this earth will remain, will be restored, and the deeds and misdeeds of human, humanity will be exposed before God's purifying fire. So if you're not buying what I'm saying, uh, maybe uh, N.T. Wright will help, okay? He kind of packages it in this way, uh, and it's really brilliantly said. He says this, As with the rest of the New Testament, Peter's not saying that the present world of space and time and matter is going to be burned up and destroyed. That is more like a view of ancient Stoicism and of some modern ideas, too. What will happen is that some sort of fire, literal or metaphorical, will come upon the whole earth not to destroy, but to test everything out and to purify it by burning up everything that doesn't meet the test. Peter's concern throughout the letter is with the judgment of humans for what they have done, not with the non-human parts of the cosmos for their own sake. So, N.T. Wright is affirming urethesitai. The earth has a future in the world to come. And the deeds of humanity, whether or not we care for creation, whether or not we pursue justice with our lives, that's what gets revealed in the fire of the end. So this brings me to my second claim today. So if the earth is here to stay, that is because God is in the business of resurrection. 
Got to love that about God. If we look further at verse 13, Peter anchors a beautiful eschatological vision for us in the end, you know, a vision of the end. This is what he says. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Righteousness is connected to justice in this passage. This all sounds a lot like Revelation 21.5, right? Anybody familiar with that verse? I'm making all things new. Making everything new. Uh, yes, yeah, so, <laughs> sorry, biblical translator Douglas J. Moo, he's a helpful guy in kind of looking at Revelations 21.5. He makes the important distinction for us that, that says, God proclaims, I am making everything new. He does not proclaim, I'm making new things. What is critically important to see with these two texts together, Peter and Revelation, is that God doesn't make a new earth. He makes the earth new. God remakes our melting icebergs into inflammable icebergs. Okay? In this meta-narrative of the scriptures, so this is the overarching story of the Bible, we see in Genesis 1 that God created all creation and called it good, right? Right? And in the end, that goodness is not done away with, it's resurrected. What integrity would God have as a creator if God simply abandoned what God first made and called good? Is that the picture that we see in Christ? I, don't, I wouldn't think so. What we actually see is a God through Christ who brings life from death, the same body that Christ walked on earth with and delivered people with and healed people with, that's the same body that gets resurrected to kind of give us a, a little story of how this might play out in a creator's life, my wife, who's here today, Jackie, she's an artist, and she's been uh, doing the artwork for my album here. I'm a singer-songwriter as well. And she, something that happened in that process really illustrates this point. She was painting this painting, and from this big painting, we're going to take you know, kind of uh, different uh, photos of the painting for, for the artwork itself, so it's kind of a bigger work. She dropped the paintbrush on the painting splat. Paint, paint went all over this paint. So the original idea that she had with this work, well, now she's, you know, got a big white blob on it. What does she do? Does she just scrap the whole painting, or does she take that mistake, take that narrative, restore it, resurrect that painting, and work with it? That's what she did. She didn't just throw away that artwork. It was the integrity of the creator who saw what was happening, but moved through it, and made it something beautiful. And here's a picture of, of a piece of that, a small piece of that for you there, just to kind of illustrate the, the spots. So, pretty cool. Um, so the earth has a future in the world to come because God is in the business of resurrection. So, this brings me to my third point, friends. What does it mean for all of, our, all of us? It means that we have a job to do. And a part of that job is creation care. Remember in Genesis 1, human beings were made in God's image. We were and are meant to act in ways that reflect how God cares for creation. I'm going to read that passage for you. Genesis 1, 27, 28 says this in the NRSV. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, remember that word, and have dominion, remember that word, over the fish 
of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the, all the living things that move upon the earth. This is our call from the beginning. But, as I pointed out there, as we read this passage, we come to another two set of words that have introduced some interpretive problems for us. Subdue and dominion. If we take those two words literally, it's, they've meant, they have uh, produced a, a climate where we are legitimate humankind's disregard for the health of the earth in pursuit of our own ends. We can essentially dominate. But I would suggest with a scripture passage like this and all of them, that we should read them through the lens of Jesus Christ, the theologian Jürgen Moltmann, which is a fun name to say, I definitely practice that, uh, reminds us that if we are image bearers, that we should see Christ as the epitome of that image bearing. Right? So if we see, look at Christ, that's a view of what it means to be an image bearer of God. It follows then, if that's true, that if Christ is the image of God on the earth, then we must remember, and I'm quoting Moltmann here, that he came not to be served, not to rule, but to serve. Thus, in light of Christ's mission, Genesis 1.28 will have to be interpreted, not subdue the earth, but free the earth through fellowship with it. Yes, I love that so much. Free the earth through fellowship with it. That's what creation care means. That's the ethos of that. That's, what it, that's the heart of it. We are to relate to God's created order like the self-emptying, incarnational, suffering servant. Our subduing should look like freedom, should look like caring. Our dominion should look like cultivating servanthood. Free the earth through fellowship with it. So we can say that our motivation for creation care is fostering a right relationship with creation. That begs the question, how has that relationship gone thus far? Not too well, right? The relationship is a broken one, and we prayed about this earlier in the prayers of the people. I don't have time to go into the detail of our ecological crisis and throw lots of stats and this kind of thing, but for many of us, we've heard those facts. We've seen that. We've seen the photos. We've heard the news. We're aware of this. But what I will say in brief this morning is that we're living in an ecological crisis in which human activity is creating new norms for creation. Douglas McGuire states it this way, for the first time, our power to destroy has outstripped the power's earth to restore. Our greed is undoing creation. The economies of this world are destroying our environment. Instead of creation care, we've had a practice of creation abuse. It's heavy stuff. And our disregard for the earth is also not just hurting creation itself, but hurting our fellow brothers and sisters. This is working against loving your neighbor. As the state of creation continues to erode and degrade, the poorest among us are the ones that are going to be hardest hit. Climate change does prove to raise ocean levels. Mass migrations will likely ensue, ensue, kicking off a global humanitarian crisis. In Earth Community, Earth Ethics, Larry Rasmussen really crystallizes this for us. He says, poorer nations and poorer communities within nations 
most often non-white societies and communities bear disproportionate burdens in the trashing of the globe. This has now been termed environmental racism. We have created a situation in which the pursuits of the world's wealthy, disproportionately white, are threatening the health of the earth and simultaneously the lives of the poor. Real briefly here, environmental racism, racism is not just something that happens to other parts of the globe, but it's happening right here in our backyard, friends. The HERC, H-E-R-C, garbage incinerator in the Minneapolis area that operates today is accused of environmental racism. All of the Hennepin County's garbage is incinerated there, including my own, so I had a stake in this. Introducing air pollutants that waft through the air of our brothers and sisters in North Minneapolis. This predominantly African-American neighborhood is breathing air polluted from the trash, predominantly from white suburban neighborhoods. One result of this is increased asthma hospitalizations, okay? According to research done by the Minnesota Public Research Interest Group, the average asthma hospitalization rate in the United States is 17 per 10,000. For the residents of North Minneapolis, which reported up to 200 asthma hospitalizations per 10,000 people. Taking another statistic for a moment, researchers from the University of Minnesota have concluded that an annual 7,000 heart-related deaths would be avoided among people of color if they breathe the same levels of nitrogen dioxide as their white counterparts. All creation is growing, gr all creation is groaning, and our fellow brothers and sisters are groaning. The church needs to speak up. The church needs to act. So in closing, I would like to leave us with what I hope are a few uh, helpful practices, two of them, that might just help kickstart us in this way of creation care, okay? The first practice that we can embody together, and I'm definitely in a mode of repentance in my life and trying to absorb this as well. So I'm with, I'm with us in this, not just talking about it. Is to practice humility and contentment. We should repent of our consumeristic, consumeristic and materialistic greed as the church we must, in humility, appreciate our inseparability from one another and our inseparability from the ecosystems to which we are tethered, to which we are bound knowing that we can't continue to allow our economic systems to outpace the Earth's ability to renew itself. Remember that humankind was placed in the garden, Genesis 1. So we need to reckon with the understanding that human history is located within the ecological limits of planet Earth, and that human civilization can only survive if it respects these limits. We need to have humility. We need to learn contentment as well, to be content with what we have, receive our daily bread, and choose to be untangled from the human kingdoms of economic greed built upon insatiable accrual. We need to seek first the kingdom of God. The second practice, friends, that I want to invite us to today is the practice of stewardship and advocacy. In a phrase, we could say it, do the little things and advocate, speak up for the big things. One little thing that our family is doing 
is we're, we're trying to compost. This is not going to save the world. It's not going to shift the ecological crisis itself. But it's just one simple practice that is helping us to begin to form a better relationship with the earth and hopefully more to come and more to come and more to come. Here's a picture of that composter. There's like 3,000 worms in there. Okay, it's pretty crazy. And, uh, you know, it also uh, recycled a toy for us. Uh, Fia really liked the box that it was in. So, and yes, I'm absolutely using my daughter to uh, give us some levity in this moment. So, <laughs> okay, so stewardship and advocacy. Steward what you have and what you do in relationship with creation. We need to ask ourselves, what kind of clothes do I buy and how does that treat the earth and therefore others? What's my relationship to energy use? How much do I really need? Those are great questions to begin. Advocate. Use your voice to call for change. Whomever you are, whatever you do, help foster change in our world on all fronts of justice. We are the hope of God on this earth. We are the incarnation of resurrection on this earth. Advocate for the right decisions, the right way forward, that cares for creation in the character of Jesus Christ. So friends, the earth has a future in the world to come because God is in the business of resurrection. Therefore, we have a job to do. Let's love God Let's love our neighbor, and let's love all of creation by caring for it. I'm going to close in prayer. I want you to join me in that. God, with what I've said today, some people may be saying yes and amen. Some people might be really wrestling. God, I thank you that we can do this as a family, that we can talk about the hard things, and your spirit unites us. And I ask God that you would purify and fire all the words I've said today and let last only the ones that you want to have sown into our hearts. God, would you have the last words? Would you guide us into what loving really means in all forms of justice? God, we seek your face. We want to do this following Jesus thing for real. So God, we take a moment of silence together to listen to your spirit and to allow that silence to nurture and to form us. Speak your word. Friends, it's so good to be with you today, to be a part of the family today. You guys are a good crew, and I love what Awaken is living out. It blesses me. With what we just sang, the love of God is what motivates our lives. Everything that we do, everything that we give comes from that place. We love because God first loved us. We care for creation because God first cared for creation. We seek justice because that's what God seeks. So as we close today, I'm just going to speak a blessing over you, Aaronic blessing. So just receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Let the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
friends, go in peace this morning. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakeningcommunity or on Twitter at awakeningcommunity. See you next time.